Good morning. Is this, hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing in church today? Go ahead and take out your Bibles, take out your notes. We're going to have a great rest of our time in church. If you are new with us, if you're here for baby dedications or something like that, welcome to church. We're glad you're here. Why don't you just go ahead and look at the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you this morning. <laughs> go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 1 as you're opening up your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to get this thing working here for me. There we go. I grew a couple inches since last week, so it's pretty exciting. <laughs> I'm only 6'6 six, six now, so. Okay. Colossians chapter 1, head that direction. Uh, I saw Eden Freegy yesterday. I see her here this morning. She asked me what I was preaching on, and when I told her, she goes, ooh, I like that. So I'm already encouraged. <laughs> I believe God's got some great stuff to share with us this morning. Colossians chapter 1, head that direction, is very near towards the back. Um, if you're there, say I'm there. Awesome, some of you are there. Why don't we go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God this morning. I'm going to read a few verses for us. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. You may be familiar with these verses, and if you are, or if at some point during these verses you decide, ooh, I really like these verses, you're allowed to say, ooh, Amen. This is the word of God for you this morning. These words are living and active, and that is encouraging and exciting. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, speaking of the man Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all Things. Somebody say all. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in ooh, everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hallelujah. Is anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? That's a lot of all. That's a lot of everything. Jesus is king. Amen. I'm going to pray for us as we get going this morning. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and be together and open up your word and be in your presence and worship you and be with your people. And so we recognize you right now. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. We really do want to hear from you. You're, uh, just, we give you permission to shape us, move us, teach us, correct us, encourage us. Anything and everything that needs to be said this morning, come and say it, Lord. That we might leave here different than the way that we came. Wherever we're hungry, Lord, fill us. Wherever we're not hungry, just make us hungry. Give us more than we're ready for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat in church this morning. Uh, I forget where I saw this one time, some video, I think, it was a, I think it was some comedian or something doing a bit, but he was making a joke about how you would have to be absolutely insane to want to be the president of the United States, and I mean, that's just kind of true. Is, uh, you think about it, you're like, yeah, you'd have to be kind of crazy to like want that job, 
And the, the, the guy was, t- he was kind of, you know, making a joke. He said, can you imagine, you know, the wake-up call as the president of the United States? Probably not a phone call or an alarm, but he, he, he was saying, you know, I bet it's like, you know, you're there sleeping and somebody just comes in. That some, the designated wake-up call person just comes every morning at 5 a.m. and just, Problems. 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 That's, that's it, every morning. That's your wake-up call. I always thought that was really funny, and I'm like, man, I'm thankful that I'm not the president of the United States, that that's not my wake-up call every morning. I wouldn't want to know what it's like waking up every day like that. And then 2020 hit. <laughs> and now we know. <laughs> now we know what it's like to get that wake-up call every day. Then this year happened, and we learned what it's like to wake up every day. Problems. Pull out your phone. Oh, problems. Problems. On the computer, problems. On the TV, problems. At work, problems. 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 For all of us coming to church this morning with at least one problem on your mind, let's start church off honest this morning. Just just say, I have a problem. I, I have a problem. If you're online, put it in the chat. I have a problem. We can be honest together in church, right? I mean, it's 2020. Let's just be real. I, I have a problem. I have a problem. I have a problem. And you, you and I uh, specifically, you know, maybe you and I haven't talked a whole lot over the last few months. But as we've been gathering in church on Sundays, I've seen you walking in the door um, with a little bit less pep in your step than you used to. I've seen it. And, uh, you know, I, I can only see about half or less of your face now these days from up here. But I can see the important part that tells me how you're doing. And I can see your eyes from up here every single week. I, I can see it in your eyes while I'm preaching to you. That's my baby, so just let her go. Okay? Everybody back off. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes, even from up here. You know, you, you, you've got a problem. You've got something on your mind. You've got something in your heart. You're, you're in here a little heavier than you used to be. I mean, I, I've, I've noticed over the last few months, I can hear it in the worship. I can hear whatever it is. I can hear I have a problem in the worship. It's like, you know, on the soundboard back there, there's a bunch of knobs and stuff like that. And it's like somebody went back and they found the fader labeled desperation, and they just kind of turned it up a little bit. That's what it sounds like in worship most Sundays here. And uh, honestly, it's beautiful. It's, it's a different sound, but it's, it's pretty stunningly beautiful when you hear that turned up. It's, it's powerful when that fader gets turned up. It's different, but it's, it's powerful and I just want to say this morning, in case you haven't heard it recently, I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you and you individually. I'm proud to be a part of this church. I'm praying for you a lot. Um, I've been learning how to pray better over the last few months. I don't know about you. I've been learning how to pray deeper. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that, even though it's it's a challenge. I'm proud of you for showing up the way you do show up. At least you did. Have you noticed that in life, that that? is sort of the bar nowadays, and most things you do, at least I did it, you know, (laughs) it's like, I came, I showed up, I got through the door, and I'm proud of you for doing that, and feeling however it is that you feel, thinking whatever it is you're thinking, working through whatever it is that you're working through, I'm proud of you, and I'm, I'm proud that we have been doing that, and you've been doing a good job, and you maybe haven't been doing as good of a job as you feel like you should have, or as Instagram tells you that you have, but at least you're doing it, and way to go, I'm proud of you, you're, you're here, I'm proud of you for being here. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you. Even you with that problem, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you this morning. Problems. Problems. 
And now we got this election coming in 16 days. I don't know if you didn't heard about that, but problems. <laughs> problems. Now, I, I'm, I'm admittedly paying more attention to this election than ones in the past. Um, I've been able to vote for a few rounds now. Uh, but I'm paying more attention, so I'm not like an expert on how everything always goes during election cycles and all that kind of stuff. But just as I'm paying a little bit more attention this year to this election, um, one thing has been striking me, and it's really over the last 12 months, and maybe even, maybe even more than that, about this election cycle, is that not only, uh, what's striking me is not only how much the world I'm living in wants to make sure I know every day the problems that I have. It's like every day the world's like, hey, just so you know, problems. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm struck at how hard the world is working to make sure I know every day about the problems that I have. But something I'm also saying, um, and, and maybe this is just me, but I'm seeing that the world that I'm living in really every day wants to make sure that I know that the church has a problem. Not only do I have a problem, but the church has a problem. And it seems like, you know, as, I, as I've been thinking about being with us over these next few weeks, it seems that the, the message that the world's kind of, the world I'm living in wants me to preach, is expecting me to preach, and asking me to preach as a pastor right now, is this simple message. The church has a problem. The church has a problem. Let's just go through the list. You know, that's, that's kind of what it seems like. The church has a problem is what we're supposed to focus on the next few weeks. And here, the church has a problem, and here's how we're going to fix it. Here's how we're going to fix it, because I'm a pastor and I know, so here's how we're going to fix it. Here's how we're going to fix all the young people that are leaving church. Here's how, here's how we're going to fix it. Post-Christian culture is going to sink the church. Oh, no. This is how we're going to fix those Christians who vote for Trump. This is how we're going to fix those Christians voting for Biden. This is how we're going to fix that liberal agenda trying to come at us. This is how we're going to fix those right-wing evangelicals, all crusty and fundamentalists. Here's how we're going to fix it. We, got, we have a problem, church. The church has a problem. The church has a, has a problem. And but my, my, my brothers and sisters in Jesus, I, I've been reading my Bible recently. And I've been praying. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for us. I've been praying for our nation. I've been hearing some of the testimonies of what God's doing in you what God's doing in some of us, what God's doing in, in our nation. And even if you can just find a spot where you're able to sort of peel back the veil just a little bit and hear about what God is even doing and some of the things, that some of the bad things you're hearing about, some of the beneath the surface, I've been hearing about some of that stuff. And, and I'm just saying the devil shouldn't have let me hear some of that stuff. Shouldn't have let me hear that. Shouldn't have let the church hear some of that. I, I've been studying some of our history, not, not just as a nation, but as the people of God through history. And, and I believe that actually the message that God's been burning on my spirit, the message that God's been giving me, that God wants to give us in this season over these coming weeks in the year 2020, after quarantine, leading up to this election, in the middle of your problem, the message that God has to share with you is not that the church has a problem. The message that God wants to preach is that the church is a problem. And that's what I want you to write at your notes today. The church is a problem. The church is a problem. See, I want to talk to you over the next coming weeks as we come up to this election. you got a lot of voices talking to you, but I want to encourage us to make some space for God, for his word, for his perspective, for his encouragement, for his faith, for, for what God might be doing in these times. And I'm just going to be way up front and say, I'm just going to talk to you like you're Christians first. I'm going to talk to you like you're, you're Christians before you are anything else. I'm going to talk to you like you're Christians. Before you're an American citizen, you are citizens of the kingdom of God. 
Before you are male or female, you are children of the Most High God. Before you are red, yellow, black, brown, or white, you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood. I'm going to talk to you like before you are Republican or Democrat, you are a member of the body of Christ, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's my angle. That's my agenda. I'm unashamed about it, and I'm not changing. That's how I want to talk to you this morning and over the coming weeks, because we are in a wild moment. We are in a wild moment in history. We are in a crazy time. I've heard so many people over the last 12 months make the comment about how this is the craziest it's been in my lifetime. This is the wildest it's been that I've ever seen. It's the most this that I've ever seen. It's the most that that I've ever heard. It's the wildest time we've ever seen. It's the craziest moment that any of us have ever been a part of. But I want to tell you this morning, just because it's our wildest moment doesn't mean it's the wildest moment. Just because it's our craziest moment doesn't mean it's the craziest moment. Even in the church, even in the church, so much fear about how, how are we going to make it through this? This here in 2020, this here in the United States, this election, this problem going on, how are we going to make it through this? It's wild and it's crazy. But I do want to help us maybe get some perspective this morning that in the midst of all of our problems, you, church, you are a problem. You are a problem. See, I want to tell you a little bit about your history as a Jesus person. A little bit of history for us as Jesus people. When, when Jesus was born and lived and died and resurrected and birthed his church, he was in a wild cultural moment. He was in a crazy, crazy moment. And, and honestly, the moment that Jesus decided to birth his church, and it should have been a big problem for the church. That moment should have been a big problem. There's corruption at every level of government in every nook and cranny, in every person, in every level, all over the place. There was immorality flowing through every single sphere of society and expanding and getting worse, not getting any better. There was racism in every direction. Everybody's prejudiced against everybody. Power being leveraged by those who had it in such a way not to lift up anybody who was oppressed, but to use it for more injustice, to leverage injustice for personal gain. And it resulted in rampant social and economic inequality. It was, it was a mess this moment. It was a mess this moment Jesus decided to come in. But if you look at the history, it was actually this problematic empire that served as a great vehicle to catalyze the church that Jesus wanted to birth. This massive empire that was broken in all of its broken ways and nasty in all of its nasty ways and difficult in all of its difficult ways, there had some things about it. This massive empire, see, it had, had created a common language over this vast expanse of the earth, the Greek language. So all these people are speaking the same language. And what it resulted in was actually the Old Testament being translated into this common language so that everybody could have it. And everybody could hear it in their own language. This, this Roman Empire that had such rampant misuse of power, even one of its misuses sort of created an environment for the church. It, if you look at the Roman Empire, there, there's this, this uh, Roman phrase, Pax Romana, this Roman peace that existed. And, you know, when we look back on it, we can see that it was kind of a pseudo peace. It was, it was this forced 
manipulated sort of peace. You know, it's like peace, not because everybody was peaceful, but peace because if you stepped out of line, you lost something important. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was, it was heavy-handed, but pseudo-peaceful, but peaceful nonetheless. It was broken and corrupt in so many ways, but in the same moment, this, this dominance and this sort of forced measure of peace that had been, uh, that had, that had been leveraged over the Roman people, it, it was vast, and, and it actually made an environment to where you could travel really easily. And they paved all these roads that actually served to be the highways for the gospel. There was a culture where you could travel in between towns and you could speak the same language. And so all of a sudden, this messed up moment became primed for Jesus to step in and birth his church so that ideas could spread quickly, so that you could travel peacefully, so that Roman roads would be the highways for the gospel, so that other towns and synagogues would welcome you in to bring this good news. And so this moment, this, this empire, this cultural moment that Jesus stepped into that was supposed to be such a big problem, all of a sudden Jesus became a problem for that problem. And God's people were a pretty big, pretty big mess too in this moment. They were, they were a mess. We don't know what that's like, but they were a mess when he decided to come birth his church. He kind of had four different segments of the people of God at large here, you, you had the, the Sadducees, and if you've read your Bible, you've probably heard that word before. The Sadducees, they were the members of sort of the temple leadership, so the, the religious elite. And the way that they handled the moment that they were in was that they just decided to make peace with the Roman Empire so that they could profit from it financially. That was, that was their mode of coping with the moment. You had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees that were sort of maybe the more common people. Not quite the elites, but religious nonetheless. And their way of coping with the moment was that they understood the, the Roman occupation as divine judgment of Israel's continued unfaithfulness. So the solution was, let's make a whole bunch more laws for us to follow to force us into the faithfulness that God desires from us. So they stressed obedience to the law by developing these elaborate systems for applying the law to every single conceivable situation so that Israel could be forced to be faithful. There were these Essenes, kind of these ascetic people. Their, their thing was like, I'm out. <laughs> Culture's bad. Life is bad. Earth is bad. Rome is bad. Everything's bad. We're going out to the desert. We gone. I don't have time to deal with this. So they just checked out. They just checked out and left. And then you had the zealots, kind of the, the revolutionaries, who were like, no, we're staying, and we're going to do something about this. And they took it far, too ambushes, assassinations, the basically is like the solution to Rome is let's take Rome down. Burn this whole thing down and start over. Jesus shows up into this loaded moment. And he preaches this message. Repent. Turn from all of that. All of you. Not one of you. Not three of you because one of you are right. All of y'all. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And all four of them thought, yes, that's for us. <laughs> right? All four of them were like, that's what I'm talking about. But then he started to expand on what he meant, and pretty soon all four of them rejected him. Once they realized he didn't come as politically as they wanted him to come, 
once he didn't come in the type of power that they wanted him to come, they rejected him really quickly, realizing that he was saying things like, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Saying that he was going to bring this kingdom by dying. He was creating a future where the temple was not the highest place on earth, but was actually unnecessary. Creating a future, creating a people where every single person, no matter your social status, no matter your ethnicity, would have equal footing under the grace of God. He claimed to be God. They started out liking it. They started hating it really fast. And by the end, they're charging him with blasphemy. The, the, the religious people are like, you're, 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 you're blaspheming. You're not God. You can't say that. The Romans now, they don't like him either. And so they're charging him with sedition. Like, okay, so you're the king now? That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. So they together, the religious people and the people in power, did what they did with everybody who stood up and said that they had something to say about all this situation. They killed Jesus. They killed Jesus who had revolted. And he dies and three days later his disciples begin to claim that he is resurrected. Now there had actually been up to this point lots of so-called messiahs who had come to the people. Really out of every single group somebody would rise up every so often and be like I'm the Messiah and they would kind of gather this following and then the Jews and or the Romans would kill him and then it would sort of evaporate because it was all fake. So that's kind of what the Jews and the Romans thought would happen this time. So when there was a small gathering of Jesus followers after his death claiming that he had raised from the dead, the ruling classes were trying to get rid of them both religiously and politically trying to get rid of them. And they're having this meeting about what are we going to do about these people. And one of the strongest, most vocal leaders of the day, he stands up. This is in Acts chapter 5. And he says this to his fellow leaders. In the present case of these Jesus followers, I'm telling you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. If this is God, the people you're trying to be a problem for are going to become a problem for you. And after Jesus' death, it's, it's hard to really explain what happened next. It's definitely hard to explain it strictly by human means. See, seven weeks after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended, he pours out his spirit on a group of 120 terrified believers locked up in a house above Jerusalem. They start speaking out in languages that they've never learned before. And so they start saying, well, we're doing this, Let, let's start walking towards the temple because that's what we do when God's moving. We, we walk towards the temple and as they're walking towards the temple, Jews from all over the region who had gathered in the city for Pentecost begin to hear this message being preached in their own language saying this moment today this is the fulfillment of Joel 2 this is the fulfillment of the prophecies that you've been holding on to for generations saying the messianic age is not to come it is now here because God has made Jesus Lord and Messiah by raising him from the dead and sitting him at the right hand of God repent and be baptized 
3,000 people gathered to hear give their lives to Jesus and are baptized in a day and the church is born. And the Bible says that awe came upon every soul. Signs and wonders were being done among them. People were being added to their number day after day after day after day after day after day. And so the people in power decide we've got a problem. And they pour out persecution on the church. The church faces challenges and persecution that are meant to be a problem for the church, but it only serves to be like gasoline on an open fire. And it faces the external pressure of persecution. It faces the internal pressure of heresy and personal agendas and people trying to make the church their own thing, but the church would still survive. Not only would it survive, but it would begin to spread all around the world. And the geographical spread would quickly not just include the Jews who Jesus had come to, but people from every nation and tribe and tongue. The Roman emperors of the day for centuries dispatched persecution after persecution, problem after problem for these people. These Jesus people, one of them Nero, really famous for being the nastiest persecutor of them all. He labeled Christians as haters of the human race. He blamed them for fires. He blamed them for natural disasters. And it was actually Roman soldiers themselves that made the comment in that day that Nero's treatment of Christians, quote, redefined cruelty to the uttermost. He said, I know how to cause a problem for them. Later, another emperor, Domitian, tries to create a problem for the church by creating the emperor cult. Now the emperor is not just the emperor, he's God, and if you don't sacrifice him, you're going to lose your head. Now church, I have a question for you this morning. If you could have been in Jerusalem on that morning, that day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, and they were together. If you were if you were in Jerusalem on that day, on a street beneath some house with 120 scared people who you thought were a little bit crazy for believing that some guy had just raised from the dead, just before that world changing and suddenly of verse 2, on the 10th consecutive day, of these people being stuck in a room, too scared to even leave, and somebody came up to you and offered you the bet. I want you to bet everything you've got that on October 18th, 2,000 years from now, 2020, in a place on the other side of the world called Indianapolis, there's going to be some people gathered in a room. I want you to bet all that you have on one of these two things. Will they be gathered on that day because of the greatest empire the world has ever seen? Or will they be gathered on that day because of what's going on in that upper room? Which would you have bet on? Which would you have bet on? The church has not only survived being illegal for the first 300 years of its existence, which, just side note, is longer than we've even been a country. But it has thrived and multiplied and outlasted the Roman Empire that tried to crush it. I'm telling you, the church is a problem. 
our history from that birthday, that day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago to today, August 18th, 2020, is the testimony that the church is a problem. You can put it anywhere in the world. You can fight it with anything in the world. You can change everything about the world, but you cannot make it go away. And that brings us to Colossians, a letter written to a church, making it through this time that we've been talking about, this problematic moment that we've been talking about, that the church was born into, that honestly reflects this moment that we are in so closely. It is the church of Colossae. They have a problem. The church has a problem. And, and this, this letter was written to, to them to help them navigate this problem. And I believe it's written to us to help us navigate any problem that we are in because they are being tempted to simply add Jesus to the list of who and what they worship instead of him being the only one that they worship. That was one of the internal struggles of the church in its early days, you know, way back then. They were being tempted to expand the requirements of what it means to be a Christian, what it takes to be saved, how you know you're really actually good at this Jesus-following stuff, you know, way back when. People were trying to say that it wasn't enough to be saved by grace through faith. You also had to be circumcised or you had to follow all these ceremonial cleanses. And I know that might sound really ancient, but maybe it's more relevant for us today than we have any idea. Because we are similarly being tempted, church. We are similarly being tempted to have Jesus on one pedestal of our lives, but not the pedestal of our lives. Jesus is our Savior at church. But at the ballot box, our preferred candidate is our Savior. We are similarly tempted, church, to create our own definition of who the real Jesus followers are. We're not drawing lines anymore about circumcision and ceremonial cleansings. No, no, no. We just do it about things like, how could you vote for that person? Or, why didn't you post that on Instagram? There are a lot of real things in our lives that really do matter right now. I have opinions. I have preferences. I have thoughts. And there are several of those things that I'm actually pretty passionate about. I've got problems. Our world has problems. We have problems. You have problems. But Colossians was written to a church and for us here at Antioch to remind you who you are. You are a problem for your problems. I'm going to tell you three things in October of 2020 that make you a problem, church. Three things you have that make you a problem for this moment you're living in that's trying to be a problem for you. See, you confessed earlier you have a problem. Now I just want you to reach over and touch somebody and say, I am a problem. Touch somebody and say, I am a problem. I am a problem. And I look back at them and be like, no kidding. Especially if it's your spouse. <laughs> just kidding. Heather can say that to me. She's not a problem. She's the best mom in the whole entire world. Look at that. Three things that make you a problem, church. See, my goal at the end of this is that I walk out of this church at the end of the day and there's holes in the wall from you just kicking it down. Let's go. Let's go, Sam. Our king makes us a problem. Number one, our king makes us a problem. You have a king. And that makes you a problem. 
That makes you a problem for politics. That makes you a problem for politicians. That makes you a problem for political conversations because no matter who gets into what power, I still serve my king who created all things, who is above all things, who is before all things, and who holds all things together. I've got a king. And since this election doesn't change my king, this election can't have my peace. This election can't make me hate somebody who disagrees with me. This election can't make me divide from my brothers and sisters in Christ just because we vote differently. Sorry. If you try to bring that at me, you're going to have a problem. What does Donald Trump and his agenda or Joe Biden and his agenda have on Jesus Christ and his agenda? See, that makes me a problem. That makes us a problem for hatred because we're just going to keep loving everybody. That makes us a big problem for division because we're just going to keep serving everybody. As big as this election is, church, it is not bigger than our king. And that makes us a problem. That makes us a problem for political parties who may try to manipulate us. That makes us a problem for labels that may try to pigeonhole us. That makes us a problem for criticism that may try to control us. We are a problem for the fear that is trying to immobilize us. Since you already have a king, you're free to just go vote for somebody to be the president. (laughs) You know, it's like so much fear because the person you vote for, you're automatically saying, I approve of everything this person's ever done and said, and they're perfectly godly and the best representation for a Christian because I'm a Christian and I voted for them. No, stop that. you got a king. You've got a king for that. And he already is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were made, whether visible or invisible, thrones, rulers, dominions, powers, all things are created through him, for him, by him. He holds them all together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the firstborn from among the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him the, uh, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I got a king who did that, so I don't need a president who will. I got a king, and that makes me a problem. You're free to just go vote. Don or Joe may be president of the United States, but my king is the king of the universe, and he is the king of my life. He is the king of the church, and that makes the church a problem. Our hope makes us a problem. Stick it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It opens this way. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Do you know how big of a problem hope is? How big of a problem hope is for depression? How big of a problem hope is for discouragement? How big of a problem hope is for anxiety, for fear, for rage, for hate? This little phrase, church, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, is loaded. It is loaded. It speaks to the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. 
It means that I have a hope that there is more to reality than simply time and space and the way that I know it, see it, and experience it, and in my little lifetime. It means that no matter what may come, I have an eternal hope in being unified with Jesus Christ and in his kingdom and glory, that not even death can separate me from the love of God, for he has a love more powerful than death and stronger than the grave. My hope is a problem. Our hope is a problem. But church, keep listening to me because it's a bigger problem than that. Hope is an even bigger problem than that. What makes your hope an even bigger problem is that your hope laid up for you in heaven is not just for you when you die. It is for you to bring to earth through your life. This hope laid up for you in heaven, he's not just saying this disembodied place where you get zapped to when you die. He's talking about heaven, the reality of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the rule and reign of God. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's the reality of the presence of your king in all places, in all times that you get to participate with. You get to pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said this kingdom of heaven, this hope of heaven, it's within you. You don't just have a hope for you when you die. You have a hope for you to live by. Not only do you have a king, but your king is with you, church. No matter who is or isn't in the White House, no matter what they are or are not doing, the king is moving through you. You need to look forward, full of hope. Full of hope. Because every situation is an opportunity to bring his kingdom. You don't have to lose hope because some things are going crazy. You need to look forward with hope because you just showed up. And things are about to get crazy. Our assignment makes us a problem. Sticking in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 through 29, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the King, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Underline verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Christ is the king in you. He is the hope of glory. Now we are therefore not here to proclaim a savior president with the goal of making everybody agree with us. We are here to proclaim him. Warning and teaching with all wisdom, not so that we can be right, but so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I'm going to keep you here all week going on this one right here. Our assignment, church, in this time, what is God asking of his church? The assignment for the church is that we would be mature in Christ. Oh, that makes you a problem. That makes us a problem because if maturity in Christ is the goal of our lives, then that can only mean that our enemies become those who we love. Anybody who might persecute us becomes one that we bless. Any disagreement becomes an opportunity for humility. 
Any distraction becomes a chance to stay focused. Any fear becomes an invitation to pray. Any disappointment becomes a call to worship. You can put us anywhere. You can fight us with anything. You can change everything, but you cannot overrule our king. You cannot take our hope, and you cannot change our assignment. Church, do you realize what is possible in this room? You and me, our brothers and sisters online, do you you know what's possible? If there were no other believers in this city of a million people, just us, do you realize we could still turn this place upside down with the kingdom of God? Look around the room. I'm serious. Look around the room. Make awkward eye contact with somebody. Look around the room. Do you have any idea what's packed inside of those people? Do you have any idea what's packed inside of you? Do you have any idea what God can do with the time that you do have? The abilities that you do have? The capacity that you do have? The choices that you can make? The neighborhood you do live in? The job that you do have? Do you have any idea what God could do with us? You and me and the Holy Ghost? That's a problem. If you're a Christian in this day, in this time, remember, you don't just go to church. You are the church. And the church is not perfect. The church is not always pretty. But the church is a problem. I want you to stand as we close this morning. We're going to worship. We're going to have some of our prayer team up at the front to pray for you if you need anything in your life at all. Now is the time to be a people who are humble enough to get the prayer that we need. Amen. What do you need this morning? What do you need in order to leave here more confident than the way you showed up? What do you need this morning to leave behind so you can leave here more free than the way you showed up? What do you need to do in this moment, you and God? Maybe you need to have somebody pray with you. What do you need to do to leave church this morning convinced that you are a problem for your problems? That's what I believe God has for us today. He wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know what you're a part of. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run our race. I hope this morning you heard the voices of generations before you cheering you on. I hope you can hear the voice of heaven cheering you on this morning, saying, run. Don't be scared. Don't stop. Don't sit still. Don't check out. Don't get distracted. Go be the problem I called you to be. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And we invite you right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would lead us into whatever response it is that we need to do this morning, individually and collectively. We pray that we would walk out of here convinced by the power of the Holy Spirit that this is the right time and the right place to be alive loving Jesus. We thank you for this moment in time. We thank you for this people and the opportunity to be a part of it. So would you come, Holy Spirit, speak to us and lead us this morning in Jesus' name.